Thanks, Kevin. Good morning, Hope Community Church. It is great to be with you. Now, the reason I am pre-recording my preach for you is because the Watkins are moving. We are moving tomorrow. And uh, the the kind of bizarre thing is that it is two years to the day, on the 28th of March, two years ago, we really felt God call us to move and become part of uh, Hope family. So um, God's got a, a wonderful sense of timing. So thank you all so much for your prayers and your care and your asking. Uh, we really do appreciate it and just thank you all so much. Uh, I know many of, uh, many of you have offered to to help us in many ways. So we massively appreciate that. Thank you so much. Today is Palm Sunday. So I can encourage you to grab your Bibles or open your Bible apps. Um, And we're gonna be looking at Matthew 21. What we're gonna be doing is just walking through uh, that passage of Jesus's arrival into Jerusalem, what we celebrate as Palm Sunday, this beginning of Holy Week, this build up to Easter. Um, So that is where we're gonna be walking. So turn to the beginning of Matthew 21, and we'll start there in just a moment. One of the greatest joys uh, I've had um, (coughs) in the past uh, was I did drama uh, for A-level. And uh, I was part of Paston College's theatre company, and uh, we would, uh, on a kind of yearly basis, do plays and then tour them around various high schools and all all those kind of other things. But uh, one play in my final A-level year was I got to play the Tramp Estragon from Samuel Beckett's fabulous play Waiting for Godot. And so myself, um, I played one of the tramps, my friend Neil played Vladimir, um, and there was other characters, and another character was called Potso, and he was played by my friend um, Ed. And what we would do is, uh, um, because of the, the, the way the script worked, Potso would appear at a various point through Act 1. And uh, what we did is we placed Ed within the audience. And so Ed would just be there as a normal kind of watcher. Nobody really knew, apart from anybody who was kind of part of the theatre company, nobody really knew that he was part of the play. And Ed would sit and watch and be part, and he would chat and converse with people before the show started. And uh, Ed would sit there and watch the play, and nobody really knew that in just a moment he was going to kind of burst onto the stage until just at right the moment he would stand up and he would start conversing with me and Neil on stage as part of his um, role. And then he would get out of his seat, walk, get up on stage and step into the light. All eyes were now on him. And so it was always this kind of great moment when, where Ed would stand up and start talking and everybody, you could see in the audience, like, what is going on? Like, who is, who is this? We didn't know he was part of the play. We didn't know he was significant. And yet when he steps onto the stage, all eyes were on him. And that is just what is going to happen in uh, Matthew 21. For uh, most of Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been operating um, kind of in the shadows, out of the limelight, behind the scenes, kind of roaming around the countryside in Galilee and uh, kind of smaller places and smaller towns. And uh, he's had a few minor skirmishes um, with the leaders of Israel in that day. But Jesus has been operating among the audience 
not announcing himself, but now is the moment where he is deciding to put himself on the stage, where his voice is going to be heard the loudest, where he's going to step into the limelight and all eyes are going to be on him. And a really important thing, and you'll get this as we read it, is that Jesus has planned this week meticulously. He has planned these moments meticulously. Everything is deliberate. Every action is uh, intended. Every moment is important. And Jesus has timed his actions of arriving into Jerusalem at a very significant point. It is the beginning of Passover festival for the Jews. It is their most important celebration. And just to give you a little bit of a picture of its importance, Jerusalem was a city of around about 50,000 people living there at the time that Jesus arrived. That was the normal population of that city. Well, during Passover week, it would swell to over 200,000 people in and around that city. And people would camp around the countryside and the villages surrounding Jerusalem. It was a massively important time. People travelled from all over the nations to come to Jerusalem as Jews to celebrate this moment of remembering how God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And Jesus plans his arrival in Jerusalem. They've been on a a road trip since chapter 16. Jesus's road trip with his disciples is now finishing and he is arriving in the city at this important and significant moment. Jesus is stepping into the limelight for all to see and we'll, we'll draw on that a little bit later. So Matthew 21, what we'll do is we'll read a bit, pause, I'll try and explain and help you understand a little bit of what's going on uh, and then we'll work through the passage and I just want to draw out a few things that I feel are significant for us. So now when they drew, so that's Jesus and his followers, near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage, which um, is a, a small village Um, And how you translate that is the house of the early figs. Okay, so that's significant because actually Jesus has a run in with a fig tree a bit after our story. Um, And that's helpful for understanding that kind of episode. He arrives uh, to the Mount of Olives and then Jesus sends two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village and in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you just need to say, the Lord needs them. And he will, he will free them and send them with you at once. Now then Matthew pauses and says, this moment, this is significant. This is to fulfill something that God has already said through the prophet Zechariah. You can find it in Zechariah 9 verse 9. So this is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion. Zion is the name that David gave to Jerusalem. Okay, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Now, when I used to read that in the past, 
Um, I used to think, oh, Jesus is being prophetic. Somehow he's, he, he, he kind of, God showed him there's some, there's some donkeys. Um, but I'm not quite sure that's the, the right way to kind of understand Jesus is sending the disciples to get some donkeys. I think it's probably quite clear that Jesus had planned this um, collection of the donkeys beforehand. So he's probably arranged this already. And so he sends to the disciples to go and collect this donkey that he's prearranged and kind of gives them the code word, you know, the Lord needs it, you know, uh, a, bit, a bit like a spy movie, you know, do you have the package? Yes, what's the password? Well, it's this. And so the two disciples pick up the donkey prearranged by Jesus because he wants to ride into town um, on a donkey. Now, it's important to understand biblically that this isn't the first time that a king has arrived announcing his coronation, his ascension to the throne in the Bible. Actually, Solomon, the son of David, uh, in 1 Kings 1, tells us that he um, uh, sits on David's royal donkey and enters into the royal city. Solomon, David's successor, the son of David, rides into a donkey on rides into town on a donkey and Jesus picks up on that and Matthew highlights that that's actually a prophesied about God's king God's messiah God's savior and how he will enter the holy city in Zechariah 9 verse 9 and we don't have time to go into digging into that today but I encourage you to read Zechariah 9 to understand that and it's really crucial for you to understand why a donkey why was a donkey significant? Well, not just because that's what David's son rode when he announced um, his succession to the throne, but it also, a if a king turned up at your city on a horse, he was coming um, uh, um, for war. He was coming for a fight. Whereas if a king arrived in Jesus' day on a donkey, he was bringing peace. He was coming with peace, and that's what Zechariah 9 really picks up. Okay, let's crack on with the story. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before them, before Jesus, and followed him, and they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Or is this? And the crowd said, this, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, it's important to understand, why were people like throwing their cloaks and putting palm trees down? I mean, these would have been some significant pieces of um, uh, clothing that they would have had. And so to throw their cloaks and almost kind of make this red carpet for Jesus to arrive in was a sign of their submission and their surrender and their honouring of him. Much like, a, a, you know, our red carpet is just for the stars, um, you know, the movie stars or, you know, uh, music or whatever. They are making this red carpet, this kind of carpet of cloaks and palm trees to honour you. And so, hey, Jesus, you can walk over our clothes. You are the king. We want to honour you and we want to celebrate you. And also palm trees were significant. I mean, if uh, if the Jews uh, back in those days were to have a football shirt, I imagine the palm tree would form part of their badge. It was a core element of their kind of national identity and symbolism. 
And so it's a really key thing that symbolizes, hey, this is the king of the Jews. This is our king. This is the king of the people. Now, another thing to understand is that the crowd decide to take a part of a psalm, Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, and they quote that psalm. They sing and celebrate and declare um, God's saviour has come. And so they use the words of that psalm um, to celebrate Jesus's arrival. Now, a fascinating thing to notice before we move on is Jesus has come on a donkey to bring peace. But instead of peace erupting throughout the city and joy that God's king has arrived, it says that the city is disturbed, it is agitated, it is um, rocked. And actually, for some people, Jesus' arrival, announcing himself as king, unnerves them. You see, the pretenders to the throne are always worried when the real king shows up. Now, it's important also is that Matthew is planting this kind of word here, this kind of word stirred or kind of trembling. Um, it's actually a word he will use a little bit later on. So when Jesus dies, Matthew will tell us that there's an earthquake. He uses the same word. Uh, the ground is stirred. And then when it says about Jesus's resurrection, it says the ground, sh the soldiers guarding the tomb shake and fall down as if dead. Jesus has come to bring seismic change to the world. He has come to bring radical transformation. He is shaking things up through what he is doing this week. So Jesus now enters the temple. Let's continue. So Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And Mark's gospel even says that he began to chase, stop people moving around and chase them out um, of the temple. And Jesus said to them, it, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Actions sometimes speak louder than words. The reason why there's so much hubbub and, and, and activity around the temple is because that was a significant place for people to buy their Passover lamb to celebrate the Passover. It was a significant place where people could come to worship, to bring their sacrifices, their offering, their praise and prayer to God. Now, because thousands of people had traveled from many different nations, they would have brought with them many different currencies. And so that's why you needed money changers. And, and so people traveling could come to the temple, exchange their money, buy their sacrifices, buy their animals, buy their Passover lamb, buy their pigeons or doves is a better translation um, for that. And the key thing to understand is normally this money changing um, and exchanging uh, would have gone on outside the temple. And what, what has happened is that the chief priests and the leaders in the temple had moved the money changing in. And what that had done is that it began to fill out the outer courtyard, the courtyard that was there for the Gentiles, for any people to come and worship God and encounter God in that. So that was the closest that a non-Jew could get to the very presence of God 
in the Holy of Holies. And Jesus is furious. He is passionately angry that the, the leaders of the temple have taken over this space that belongs to people who are, who are coming hungry for God. Hungry to pray, hungry to encounter God, and they have taken over this outer courtyard and and taken it up with um, uh, business. And the key thing to understand is that the chief priests and the leaders in the temple would have been getting a profit um, from all this money changing. So there is greed, there is injustice, there is corruption, there is nationalism. Jesus is confronting all these things by smashing over tables, throwing over chairs, stopping the money changing, going on. Jesus's actions are confronting the hypocrisy and sin right at the heart of the Jewish people and their Leaders, And so that's why he quotes Isaiah 56 verse 7. He expresses, look, this is not what this place is meant to be. This place is meant to be a place for the Gentiles to come and encounter God. But he also quotes uh, Jeremiah 7 verse 11, this den of robbers. And he, Jesus is highlighting and spotlighting the corruption and idolatry and hypocrisy right at the heart of this religious centre. Okay, let's continue. And, and then the blind and the lame came to Jesus in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they weren't happy, they were indignant. They were furious and they said to Jesus, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, quotes the Bible to these Bible scholars, these Bible professors. He said, have you, have you never read your Bible? Have you never seen this before? And then he quotes from Psalm 8 verse uh, 2 or 3. Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Wow, he puts them in their place. And then leaving them, Jesus went out to the city of Bethany and there he stayed. Now, if you read the, the little paragraph before Matthew chapter one, you'd read the story of Jesus healing two blind men. And what happens on the road as Jesus and his crown, his followers are, are heading towards Jerusalem, these two men cry out, Jesus, son of David, rescue us, save us, heal us. And what the disciples do is they silence them. They say, shh, be quiet. You are not meant to be talking in that way. Can you please shut up? This is all under wraps at the moment. We need to keep this quiet. And, and the word that Matthew uses for shouted out is exactly the same word he uses to describe the singing of the children in the temple in this moment. And Jesus and his followers, rather than muting the children as they sing out praise to Jesus and declaring who he is, Jesus doesn't mute them. Jesus and his followers don't tell them to be silent. In fact, he encourages them. And the chief priests are saying, hey, you should not be encouraging this. They are wrong in what they're singing. And Jesus is saying, guys, have you, have you never read your Bible about what happens when uh, God's king arises? Jesus schools the Bible professors 
with a Bible lesson from Psalm 8. Jesus is so important. Jesus is no longer hiding in the shadows. Jesus is announcing himself right in the centre of the stage with all lights on him in the most significant place in the Jewish nation. Jesus is saying, I am the king. Just listen to what these children are singing. Just look at the miracles that I am doing. Just look at me ride into town on a donkey, announcing myself as a king, as the son of David. All eyes are on him. He is arrived. The king has come. Jesus has stepped onto centre stage. Everything he has done is making it clear to everyone. I am God's promised king. So I just want to look at three things to finish off um, that are really significant. uh, That I believe Jesus wants to impress upon us this morning. And the first one is this. Look at me. So Jesus throughout this narrative has been drawing deliberate attention to himself and his great announcement in drawing everybody's attention, all eyes on him, look at me, his great announcement was that he is the son of David. Now that might not mean much to you but in terms of the Bible it is a massively loaded Phrase. It means he is the king of all people at all times in all places forever. It's a king that God promised would come, a saviour who would put right everything that had gone wrong, who would bring the kingdom of God, heaven on earth, who would deal with corruption and evil and oppression and sickness and sin and Satan and darkness. There is a king, God promised, who one day will put right everything that has gone wrong. Jesus is saying, look at me. Jesus is saying, I am that king. For quite a few years I followed um, American basketball, the NBA, and my team is the Golden State Warriors. And uh, just this week, uh, one of our best players, best defensive players, Draymond Green, uh, he said this, I am the greatest defender to ever play in this league. I mean, what an outrageous statement. Imagine a Premier League footballer announcing this week, I am the greatest defender to ever play this game in England. I am the greatest. I mean, what an outrageous thing to claim. And yet Jesus, through all that he's doing, through his actions, through his words, he is claiming, I am the rightful king. I am God's king. I am the ruler of the nations of the earth. I am the most significant person in all of history. That is what Jesus is saying throughout this passage. And so, friends, you cannot sit on the fence about Jesus. You cannot sit on the fence. Either he is the king or he isn't. Either he is telling the truth and we need to give our lives. We need to lay down our lives. We need to put our cloaks on the floor and honour him and worship him and celebrate him as our king and saviour. Or we're going to have to reject him like the leaders and the people in Jerusalem. 
We, you cannot sit on the fence. And so friends, I know there's a number of you watching and you are sitting on the fence in this moment. Jesus is inviting you, look at me. And a great way for you to do that is to do the Alpha course or for you to connect with us um, here at Hope so that somebody can walk you through. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to give your life um, to Jesus? I heard a great story um, just last week uh, of a parent who, who uh, on the back of filling in the census, led their kids to give their lives to Jesus. They recognised, I am going to follow this king. He is king of my life. I give my life to follow this king. Is that what you've done? I would encourage you to think about that. So Jesus is saying, look at me. Next, he is saying this, listen to me. Listen to me. I mean, try and picture yourself in the temple when Jesus clears it. I mean, there would have been thousands of people. There would have been hustling and bustling, animal noises, clinking of coins, all this kind of stuff, all this busyness and hubbub and prayer and worship, all these things going on in this outer court. It would have been busy and noisy and then suddenly to cut through all the noise and hubbub, Jesus starts trashing the place, starts throwing tables and they slam to the floor. Coins start jingling and jangling across the stone um, floor. Animals are making noises. Pigeons and doves are flying away. People are running away, shouting, hey, what are you doing, Jesus? And Jesus begins to call out, this is not what this house is for. This is meant to be a house of prayer for the nations. And Mark's gospel tells us, and his account of what Jesus does, is that Jesus gathers a massive crowd and starts teaching them. And this is probably the moment where the blind and the lame come up to him and Jesus starts performing amazing miracles. You can imagine people, the blind, saying, I can see, I can see. And then the lame start walking, I can walk, I can walk. And everybody is astonished and amazed and Jesus is taking over all the noise, all the hustle and bustle, all ears, and now on Jesus. And I think that's what God has got for us, for us as a church in this season. That actually it's time Jesus wants to cut out all the external noise. Jesus, you know, we've got used to doing these digital meetings where we have to hit the mute button or we have to unmute ourselves in order to engage and converse. Or maybe we're listening to somebody talk and everybody else um, has to be muted. And maybe you've had the experience of being in a meeting, you're trying to listen to somebody and somebody hasn't muted themselves and they're sneezing or snotting or their their dog is snoring really loudly or they're boiling the kettle or something like that and it, it hinders you from hearing what is trying to be said and Jesus is saying to us as a church he wants to cut through all the noise because it's time to listen to him it's time to listen to him for the purposes he has got for us in the future that is what we're doing in this season. We are listening. We are waiting. We are muting all other distractions and purposes. Why? So that we can hear his voice. When was the last time you stopped all the distractions, all the other voices, and you stopped? Doesn't mean you have to sit still, but you stopped just to listen to his voice. For me, I go for a walk in the woods. 
that sense of walking helps my soul just to be still and just to listen. When was the last time you hit mute on everything else so that you could hear the voice of Jesus? Jesus is inviting you, listen to me. I want to captivate you with my voice. I want to fill your mind and your heart with the things that I am saying for you together. Jesus wants us in this moment to fix our energy on listening to him. And lastly, so look at me, listen to me, come to me. You know, when we, when we read this passage, we can't help but feel a massive cultural gap between the temple and the priests and our everyday life now. I mean, you know, for, for Jews in the first century, temples and priests and uh, all those kind of things, that was a normal kind of weekly part of life if you, if you lived around that area. It was a yearly part of life with all the festivals and celebrations. It was a normal thing to do. But for us in our day, temples and priests and all those kind of things is, is just not, not common. I mean, it is around other parts of the world. But, it's, but the crucial thing to understand of what Jesus is doing here is he is replacing the, the temple, the house of God, and he is replacing the priesthood, the people who are a go-between, a gateway between God and, and, and other people, other men and women and children. And he is saying, all this now is obsolete. I am replacing this building and these priests, I am replacing them with myself. They are just a photograph. They are just a, a mock-up. They are just a a shadow of what the real dwelling place of God is meant to be, what the real place of encountering God's presence of heaven on earth is meant to be. It's me. Jesus is announcing himself through clearing the temple, through healing the sick, through, uh, through his teaching and his presence in that place, that now the temple is obsolete and he is now the place where we can encounter God. Jesus, through his action, is saying, you don't need to come to a place anymore. You don't need to go through a person anymore. All you need to do to encounter God, to enjoy his presence, to have your life healed and made whole, is you come to me. You come to me. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project says this really, really helpful thing. He says, in the Bible, and in human culture across the world and the history, it says priests and temples are the connecting points between heaven and earth. And that's what we see in our story, isn't it? With Jesus, Jesus, the blind and lame come to him. And what does happen is heaven breaks out, healing and wholeness. And what is Jesus doing by clearing out the money changers and those that are greedy and, and corrupt? He is clearing away the impurities. Why? Because God's presence is holy. He wants a holy people. And why do the children start singing and there's worship? Because heaven is a place of worship. Heaven is a place captivated with the beauty and glory of Jesus. Jesus is creating a new meeting point between men and God, and it is himself. You can just come to Jesus today. Come to him. Bring him your pain. Bring him your brokenness. Bring him your disappointment. Bring him 
your joy, your praise, your sacrifice. Bring it all to him and you will encounter God. Jesus is the touch point between heaven and earth. He is the new temple. He is building a new people in which heaven can reside on the earth. So let me conclude. Jesus is saying we are to look to him. Jesus is saying we are to listen to him. And Jesus is saying we are to come to him. So I want to encourage you as we worship, as we pray, as we press into this week, Jesus is inviting you. Look at me. Listen to me. Come to me. And you will encounter the King of kings, the Lord of all, the Saviour, the Son of David. Next week, Mark is going to be talking about awakening hope. What we've read today is a little microcosm of what's going to happen in a week's time with Easter. Jesus clears out all the junk and heaven begins to break out on earth. So what does Jesus do on the cross? He clears out the junk of sin and darkness. And what does he do by his resurrection? Heaven is breaking out on earth. God's kingdom, God's answer to human brokenness and pain and oppression is breaking out on the earth. Hope is arising. Bless you guys. Let's press into worship and see what Jesus wants to do.